0: Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com dot com that's mormon discussion all one word dot p o d b e a n dot com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion All one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. Recently, I was asked by Terrell and Fiona Givens if I would help them with a project that they're working on. They wanted to know if I would contribute essentially my story so that they could use it, and I don't know what the the end format is for these stories that they're putting together. They are accumulating multiple stories, it's not just mine, about those who had run into serious doubts, had lost faith, and then had regained faith in how they did it. These papers that they'd asked for were to be between 2,000 and 3,000 words. And, uh, and again, so I, I hope that at some point my story will be used by them in some format. But, but having written this and having sent it off to them, I thought I would use it as the background for one of these episodes. And so I'd like to share with you, once again, I know you've probably heard it a thousand times and so it is not of interest to you, but since last week we did the episode on the three phases of faith transition, I thought it would be kind of neat now to show you my story and to show you, in a sense, how it went through these three phases and to maybe give it a real-life approach to how those three phases uh, work in the day-to-day life of a member of the church. So let's begin. I encountered the restored gospel at the age of 17. I was in my senior year of high school and began dating an LDS girl. Before long, I was taking the missionary discussions and reading up on everything Mormon. In my desire to take in all information about the church, I discovered a book at my local library, Fawn Brody's No Man Knows My History. The book was critical of the church and painted Joseph Smith as a fraud, a pious fraud, but a fraud nonetheless. I read it, and it was counter to everything the missionaries had taught me and testified of. This occurred while still taking the discussions and preparing for baptism and caused me to delve deeper into Mormonism by exploring for the first time LDS apologetics. While studying the faithful answers to the issues this book and other critical sources raised, I became aware that Mormonism was very deep, a very deep subject with infinite number of branches of information one could easily study and research. I found sites like FAIR, Book of Mormon Answer Man, Shields, and Jeff Lindsay's site. These apologetic websites, along with a divine answer to prayer, gave me the answers that allowed me to settle these tough issues in my mind, at least temporarily, and to proceed with baptism. Once baptized, my seeking didn't subsist. I continued looking for more history, more doctrine, and discussion on anything Mormon. There was a major flaw in my persistence to learn about the church, though. The flaw was that very few other Latter-day Saints in my ward, and likely Stake, had approached their faith this way. This led me to being one of the most informed members even at a young age, and just recently converted. Members came to me when tough questions arose. When I shared a fact in Sunday school or priesthood, the look on some members' faces said I didn't know that. My ability to speak without a written talk or to pull scriptures out of my head was frankly superior to most around me. This built a false assumption in my world view that in being the most informed in my home area meant that my answers and framework and views were the most enlightened, that in essence I had a better foundation in the most correct view among the group. The other issue which is a major contributor was the inability to separate doctrine, policy, opinion, and culture. Coming into the ward as a 17-year-old convert causes one to naturally rely on others for the wisdom of how to arrive at the real Mormonism, leaning on older members to show me the sources of wisdom and truth from where I should seek truth. Members pointed me to books like Bruce R. McConkie's Mormon Doctrine, Joseph Fielding Smith's Doctrines of Salvation, and Man, His Origin and Destiny, along with many others. I had come to see these men as not only prophets, seers, and revelators, but also as infallible. If one was a general authority, then I assumed when they spoke to the church, it was safe to assume they were speaking the mind and will of God, that their books and talks were prophetic extensions of their mantle, that they could be trusted as such, left me inserting every principle they taught into my framework as truth. Looking back, it was easy to pick out that while I arrived at answers and solutions, I had done so in a very dogmatic way. The trouble was that I and most others, I assume, don't have the ability to see that little but important piece of information in the midst of living it. I assumed my answers were complete and informed and workable. I believe that if anyone posed a critical problem to me, I could spout back the perfect answer. Missionaries took any chance they could to seek me out for answers and for me to expound on deeper subjects. When they encountered an an opposing minister or an investigator with deep questions, I was the first they asked to go along on the appointment. In the midst of this misplaced trust in my own intellectual framework, I also moved up quickly in leadership in the church. My first calling, weeks after baptism, was as the assistant ward mission leader. Not long after, I was ordained an elder and called as a counselor in an elders quorum presidency. Over the next five years, I served in four more elders quorum presidencies, a young men's presidency once, and then was called as an elders quorum president. After a two-year stint as elders quorum president, I was called as a counselor in a bishopric at the age of 26. Then, at the age of 29, I was called to be the bishop of my home ward. All of these callings came quickly, one after the other, with no room in between to be outside of this type of leadership. In other words, I was always in a presidency as a counselor or as the president, as a counselor to a bishop or as the bishop. All of these callings, coming one after the other, in many ways contributed to a feeling of security that I had things figured out and God was aware of it. To some extent, I want to call it pride, though it wasn't the haughty pride that many think of when the word is used. I genuinely loved the gospel. I genuinely enjoyed magnifying callings and helping others. I genuinely enjoyed giving talks and serving those around me. But in my recognizing that I was more informed and that God trusted me with serious responsibility at a young age, I became too secure that my framework and foundation was authentic and realistic And in that sense, I had become prideful. Then the crash came. Little by little over the years, I had small faith crises. I would discover some fact, and then I would struggle for a week or two until I discovered the answer. I was prone to doubt, you could say. Don't get me wrong. I have had spiritual experiences that would most likely hold others firm in the faith. But to some extent, I must have a little bit of Layman and Lemuel in me. I was always clinging to the next faith-promoting fact or the next answer to a critical question. I could never really settle down and just be still, but rather was always searching for the empirical truth, one way or the other, that just lied just over the other side of the hill. While my crash occurred while serving as a bishop, it was not due to being a bishop. The calling was awesome and in many ways blessed me in my crisis and gave me access to experiences that helped me hold on. My crash occurred over my realization that my framework and foundation were faulty. Not that I recognized it at the time, but it was when the church did not hold up to those assumptions and expectations to that framework. It was then that I got into trouble. I don't remember it coming on slowly, though I assume in many ways it did. Looking back, it feels as though it was a sudden overnight thing. It seems I just woke up one morning and thought to myself, the church is likely not true and it certainly is not what it claims. At this point, all the light in my eyes left me. I began to deeply struggle and to feel the weight of this matter in a profound way. It now became absolutely necessary to get to the bottom of it. There is a word that is often used called cognitive dissonance when we talk about faith crisis. This word, cognitive dissonance, means the discomfort experienced when simultaneously holding two or more conflicting cognitions. In other words, I had in my mind the belief that the church was true, and that it was also false. And this issue was so important to my mind that there was a serious conflict going on to physically resolve it. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't set it aside, and think about anything else. I spent every waking moment thinking through the issues and arguments on both sides, and trying to find that empirical piece of evidence that would let me once and for all make a determination of lasting, final conclusion. I began getting angry and frustrated and having a bit of sarcasm as I worked through these issues. I must stop here and make mention that this anger did not affect me in the church setting. In fact, Sundays were the only day when all felt right and all was well, except Sundays would end and Mondays brought a renewed focus on the truth claims of the church. During my weeks, I became more and more concerned that I had been deceived, that the church was indeed not true. It never occurred to me that rather than the church not being true, because it didn't meet my expectations or my assumptions, that it was actually my assumptions and expectations that needed adjusted. Take evolution, for example. I had been taught the words of prophets and apostles that evolution was not only wrong, but a heresy. I exclaimed this truth at every chance I could take. Then one day, while studying information about the earth and creation, it hits me that there may be more to evolution than I had first given it credit. Now imagine that this happens with a hundred other subjects around the same time. Age of the Earth, divinity of the Book of Abraham, where is the real Hill Cumorah? What's the motive behind polygamy and polyandry, and many, many more? Now imagine when you trust the leader to always be speaking for God and to always be on his errand. This leaves no room for error. When I saw leaders and their teachings in this very defined and delineated way, it only allowed for a black and white way of seeing things. While this black and white world may be easy and may be a simple way for most of us to live by, it does not account for, nor allow, the complexity and diversity in our experiences and in the world. While in this deep faith crisis, I didn't dare tell anyone. I worried that since I knew more than they did about our history, they would at minimum not be able to answer my questions, and at worst I would destroy their faith. I also realized the stigma that doubt had at times in our church, and a bishop with doubt would, I perceived, be seen in an even lesser light. So I kept it in and spoke to no one for the longest time. But little by little I realized I was sinking further to the conclusion the church was not what it claimed. While in the stage of anger and bitterness and sarcasm, I decided that if the church is true, there has to be other ways to see things and that others have to have answers. I began searching on the internet for people who delved as deep or deeper into these subjects. I located some podcasts and I've got in parentheses here, online audio programs, and some internet discussion boards that allowed for me to both listen to people who thought of things differently and to ask different online communities tough questions and see how they would answer them. Both of these were both hurtful and helpful, but they were helpful in that they showed me that there were other people who were just as aware of the problems, and yet they were able to make things work and better yet explain to me how they did so people like Terrell Givens or Richard Bushman, people like Brant Gardner, and lots of unknown people in the discussion boards who didn't hesitate, who put their cyber arm around me and showed me that they were just as aware of these problems and yet they were able to make things work. Better yet, explain to me how they did so. As I waded my way through these views and answers, it became apparent that those who knew this stuff and still had faith had rebuilt a different foundation. Their framework, their assumptions, their expectations were different than mine. They had built their foundation and framework on a different set of assumptions and expectations than I had. And it was apparent that if I was to regain faith, I would have to attempt to tear it all down and rebuild it. Not only rebuild it though, but do so in a way that was honest and reasonable. I begin to look at older sources for quotes from leaders, giving flexibility to what is doctrine and what isn't. I began to look at issues and see if they were really framed the way I thought they were. It caused me to look inwardly and to be self-honest about why things did or didn't fit, and if there were other possible ways to view these issues in. I also realized that members of the church didn't fit a mold, and that while many members of my ward did seem to see things in a common way, that in reality there was not just one form of Mormonism, that outside of a very small set of commonly held beliefs, there was plenty of room for flexibility and diversity, that while in my ward I felt alone and outside of the accepted tent of Mormonism, that worldwide I fit very comfortably in the actual tent. Once I began to recognize that this new framework was in reality a better and more realistic approach, I saw room for faith again. Suddenly the anger subsided, and the bitterness was swept away. Just as getting into the crisis was a long process, so was coming out of it. One step back, two steps forward. That kind of model. But finally I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. This new approach, while giving me my faith, admittedly placed me more outside the norm for our ward. While this comes with some added tension at times, I must say I relish it. By that I mean it does not cause me overwhelming anger or sadness, but rather I realize I have paid the price for this view and I cherish it. I simply acknowledge that we are all different and that it is wrong of me to impose this new framework on others, and that we are better to act as guides in safely leading someone through this transition, and not force the transition itself. I also attempt to let others know, by the way I speak and the words I use, that I am a safe person to approach with tough questions. I also should say here that while I have told the story from an intellectual point of view, you should not assume there was not a spiritual aspect to this journey. There were prayers both answered and unanswered. There were miracles, both those requested and those that came unexpectedly. There were spiritual experiences, some of such divine nature, as to be beyond an emotional response of the brain. God never left my side through this entire journey, and while things didn't happen as I had pleaded for them to, they happened nonetheless. In response to my crisis and noticing that many sites and groups have answers, and that many sites and groups validate the struggle that a faith crisis is. Very few do both. I created a podcast, Mormon Discussion. The podcast discusses both the intricate parts of a faith crisis, helping those in the midst of, of one deal with the emotional ride that they are, but also leading with faith as Elder Holland has asked us to do. You know where the podcast can be found. My name is Bill Real. I used to be a knower, but now I'm a believer. While I hope to get back to a place of having a perfect knowledge, I am now comfortable having faith that is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of which not seen. I'm grateful for God's grace and the atonement of my Savior, and I want all to know specifically that this place I am at is way more beautiful than where I was even before the crisis. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen.